but we got you while we got you. It's good to have you here. Uh, I want you, if you would, please turn with me to John, the 14th chapter. John 14. It's also good. Uh, Eric has both his young men with him here for Thanksgiving. So great. I'm so glad that they're all together. You guys had a wonderful time. All right, and that's good. Um, everyone else okay? We got through the, the holidays safe and sound, right? We're good to go. Okay, good. Now, if you notice, every time I read, I have to put my glasses on. There was a time before I was 40 years old, every examination I received, it was 2020. I mean, it was amazing. I could see things incredibly clear and sharp. But then something happened at the age of 40. I just turned 63 a little bit ago, but it's been pretty much a downward spiral ever since then, vision-wise. Now, here's the thing. I can see you guys. I can even tell what color clothes you have on or where, you know, where you're sitting and who it is that I'm looking at. I see clearly there. The problem is when things get up close. It's like I saw clearly to drive my car here today to come and worship at church. I see clearly in, in each of the individuals here, I see who you are, and so I'm able to engage and talk, and that's good, and God wants me to do that. I see that I have my Bible here. And I see, well, that's great. It's good that I have my Bible here. It's good I have my Bible with me all the time because if I want to learn about God and grow in Christ, I need to understand the Word of God, right? So I have that. So it's here. So you know what? Everything's going great. Everything's going the way it should. I am really able to worship and, and learn and be who I need to be until I do this. I open this up, and right now I see something, but I cannot tell you what I see. I mean, it's a hey, I know just from, you know, memory's sake that there are words on this page. I can barely make out, I think I'm in the Gospel of John here, okay? But I know that, hey, this is the Bible, these are scriptures, and that something important is being said but I can't see clearly. So what good is it if I, I'm here, I can see who you are, I can talk, I can do all that. Here's the Word of God, but I can't see it clearly. What good does that do me? Even though I've got so many ducks in a row, so many things that are right, I'm here, I'm with you, I know this is a Bible, I'm singing, but I can't understand. When I put this on, ah, I opened up to John 19. I'm able to start reading this, and not only can I read, I know what it says. It's not just something there, it's specific. You see, whenever we have a general idea, that's a good thing. It gets you in the right area, right? But to be able to live, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to important things in life, you need specifics. Because life is about the specifics. 
The generalities are right. Get it yourself in the right place. But if you're in the right place and you don't know the specifics, guess what? You'll always just stay in the right place. But you'll never get what you need to get until you can have the specifics. We need a clear vision, not just a general vision when it comes to God. Hence, I told you all to go to John, the 14th chapter, right? I didn't mean to send you to John, the 14th chapter. I meant to send you to John, the third chapter. But see, that's what happens when I don't have my glasses on, right? You just start taking a number out there. So John, chapter 3, and I want us to look at an individual who had a general idea of things, but Jesus is going to challenge him, you know what, you need a clear vision. Your general vision has only taken you so far, and it will prevent you from coming all the way. You need clear vision ahead. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do, you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done 
has been done through God. I don't know what Nicodemus was expecting when he went to see Jesus. I know he was puzzled. He's curious. Because here are these miracles being performed. And so Nicodemus, you know, if miracles being performed, this person must have God's special blessing. He must have come from God because I'm a devout person, but I can't do this. And so Nicodemus comes, and, and, and as many commentators have pointed out, it's interesting he comes at night. I don't know, the scriptures do not tell us why he does that. I'm kind of wondering if he's just coming to check things out, but he doesn't want to be seen coming. He doesn't want to be connected and associated. If he doesn't know what's going on, let me kind of do this on the slide. Let me come in and find out. And so he comes with a general idea about God and God's way. And it's a good. It's good. The things he knows are good. They're just not good enough at this point. Because you see, he only has a general idea, not a clear vision. And as long as he stays that way, he will always be wondering about what God is doing and never knowing. He will always be there saying, try, saying good things, but not getting it. And it's just like me. As I look at my Bible right now, I know there are words there. And I know I just read something, so I can remember a little bit what I read, but you know what? That's as I am limited. I am limited, and once I'm limited, I can't start growing and be the person that God wants me to be. So what do I need to do? Clear vision so that I can understand. Here are a couple things I want us to think about. What did Nicodemus need a clear vision about. Number one, Jesus challenged him to have a clear vision that he needed an entirely different life and not just another flavoring. Okay? First thing Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now keep in mind, this is a teacher of Israel. He understands the idea of kingdom. God had promised that that, that David's descendants would reign on the throne forever. He understood kingdom. And he understood that a kingdom of God is different than a kingdom of man. And he remembered that on the day uh, that they all came to Sinai, God had said he had wanted to make uh, all of Israel a kingdom of priests. But, of course, they sinned, and so that didn't happen. So he's familiar with this terminology But here's the thing that throws them for a loop, is when Jesus says, you must be born again. You must have an entirely different life. This is not the same old, same old. Everything you've believed and done so far has been good and right. But the old covenant is over. The new covenant is coming. And you've got to have the type of attitude, I am teachable. I am willing to do all things new. Because if you don't have that, you will be limited. You will have a general idea. Uh, God is out there somewhere, but you won't have the specifics. It's like the person saying, I'd like to get married someday. But they don't do anything specifically. They don't connect with anyone. So they spend their entire life, I'd like to get married someday. I'd like to have this job someday. Great, did you apply for it? No, I didn't. I just want to have it. What? Well, do something. Take some specific action. 
We can do that spiritually. We're always approaching, but never taking hold. And what Nicodemus needed to see is, look, we're not just going to have a little Christian flavoring. We're not just going to kind of add to your life, have a little Jesus. Now Jesus is your rabbi of the month. No, you're going to be born again. You're going to be born of the Spirit. This will not come out because of things you can do. This only comes from God. But it comes because we are humble, we are teachable, we are willing to start all over. Why is it sometimes it's so difficult for people to forgive other people? Do you know why? They're looking for a flavoring, not an entirely different life. Why is it so difficult for people to honor God and to, you know, uh, uh, value Him and look to Him for contentment? Why do we run after jobs and relationships and everything else that are good in and of themselves, but we go after them out of desperation rather than go after them out of contentment? Why do we do that? Because we're looking for flavoring, not a whole different way of life. You see, the life of the Spirit, we start with contentment and then we add things in. We'll add the relationships, add the job, things like that. It is God who makes us content. Whenever we're just looking for flavoring, all we're doing is playing by the rules of the world, the way we've always done things, except now we have Christian flavoring. You know, we'll go to church, we'll do different things, maybe even read the Bible. But our value system, are the things that still passionate about, are things in the world. Is it any wonder why people struggle with self-image issues? You know why? They're still playing by the world's rules. Are you pretty enough? Are you thin enough? Are you tall enough? Are you short enough? Are you smart enough? Are you black enough? Are you Latino enough? Are you white enough? Are you rich enough? Are you poor enough? Are you this enough? That enough? This? And kids are raised up with this stuff. And they go into high school and they're, they're taunted about this, that, and the other. And they're looking for something to feel good about themselves. Yes, I am pretty, so I, I have value. No, you had value before you were even looked anything. Why is it? And we're craving and we're going. But it happens to us as adults, right? We let our jobs define us. We let our hobbies define us. We let our appearance define us. Rather than God, I'm born again of the Spirit of God. I am back to the Creator of the universe. He is making me and shaping me into the way that He has intended. And you know what? That's good enough. Now, I get to do this as a job. I get to have this relationship. I get to have it. Isn't that great? It's good. But it's not, oh, I'm going to die. What are people going to think of me? I mean, we live these lives of anxious, ridden. Ah. We're just playing by the rules of the world. We got Christian flavoring. We got to go back to our birthright. We've been born again. Nicodemus, can you see it? Nicodemus, don't, I don't want you to become more religious. It's a whole new thing. New values, new priorities, new passion. It's great. And guess what? A new power. You are not going to do this on your own. You can't do it. Scared me to death when I was thinking about becoming a Christian. I thought, I've messed up. I know all that. 
I really want to live right. I mean, I had all the right, but the biggest thing I was afraid of is how in the world am I going to do this? I haven't ever done it. <laughs> My track record is the other way. I'm, and being born of the Spirit, you now have the power to become. That's what Nicodemus, it wasn't going to be more human effort, more human activity. God was going to make any activity we have productive. Sometimes we think, let me just add more to my life and maybe that'll make me better. No. What's going on in your life? Let God grab hold of that. Let it be empowered and engulfed in the flame of God's spirit. And now you'll start seeing things happen. A whole new life. A life in which whatever it takes for me to be who God wants me to be, I'll do it. I don't have to be talked into anymore. I'll do it. It's a life of the now. Let me take action now. Let me not just wait till everything gets right. It'll never get right. Do now. Whatever you know to do, do now. God's given you that opportunity. So take hold of it. That's the type of vision that Nicodemus needed to see. Secondly, look down there in verse uh, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The Israelites sinned, and so poisonous snakes came among them in the desert. And so God says, here's the way of salvation. I want you to make this bronze snake, this image of snake, hold it up, and everyone looks at that snake. They will survive the onslaught of the poisonous vipers. They will survive. Now, from a practical point of view, looking at a statue, how in the world is that going to keep me from getting bit by that rattlesnake coming? You know? It's ridiculous. It's foolish. It's, it's God. It's God. And see, Nicodemus would have known that. It isn't about... The actual statue there, it's about the fact that God says, wherever I say salvation is, that's where it is. It may not make much sense, but if you trust me and go along with what I say, you will see the salvation of the Lord. You know what Nicodemus needed to see? Is that Jesus is the source and not the symbol of God's new way. He's the source. See, he comes to Jesus, Rabbi, you know, so he knows you're from God. So, man, I, I want to be open. How do we do this? You know, what's going on? Teach me something. But it's not just a rabbi. Jesus is the source. He is the source of life, of everything. Not just a symbol. This is not the Christ group. He's the source. That's what's being said here. Let me show you what Paul said about him in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1. Verse 15. Talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We worship Jesus. We don't think that he's just a good idea. We worship him. He is the image of God. Through him, all things were created. For him, all things were created. Your very breath is dependent on him. Your eternal destiny is dependent on him. He is the source. That's just fact. You know, sometimes one of the biggest concerns I have just over the past 40 years, uh, 40-some years as a disciple, is how to pass on Jesus' faith. Most of our kids grow up, and they get an idea of going to church. And that's a tough gig to try and get them out of. You know what I mean? I go to church. I know that as kids grow up, they get afraid of, you know, what's going on in high school, what people think of them, and I, we've all been there. We, we know that. But how do you help them understand who Jesus is? How do you help him, them understand that he is alive now? That he knows exactly what they're going through and what they feel? The only way we can do is we first have to worship him. He's got to be that real to us. Have you ever noticed how people don't like talking about Jesus? It's funny. Everyone almost likes talking about God if they have any vestige of belief. Because see, saying God is safe really is. The minute you say Jesus, whoo, boom, the conversation is narrowed considerably. See, if I talk about, you know, God does this, God does that, that helps everyone that likes to say, I'm spiritual. Have you ever met someone like that? You know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. So if you say something about God, that's very inclusive, right? And, and, and our Islamic friends and our Jewish friends and uh, um, even our Hindu friends, the idea of God, because, you know, the minute we use that term, they think of God in their own way, right? And so everything is nice and civil. The minute you say Jesus, it gets uncomfortable. Now, why is that? It's because all of a sudden, God has gotten defined. God has gotten defined. I'm not talking about your spiritual concept. I'm not talking about your particular thing. I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth, who is more than a man, who is God. I'm talking about the one that every knee will bow to. Every knee. Every Movie star, rock and roll star, hip-hop artist, political king, whatever, they're all bowing. And there's nothing that can be done about that because it's who he is. 
who he is. And Nicodemus, this is not about Rabbi of the Month. This is about, just as Moses had lifted that snake, I'm going to be lifted up. I am the source of life. I am the source of the future. I am the source from the past and the present. I am the great I am. What I want all of us that are disciples in this room, more than anything else, is I want us to individually, as well as together, worship Jesus Christ. Do you believe he is the Christ, the Son of God? I know you were supposed to say that when you got baptized. I've had to keep saying that well after my baptism. Because there are times that it would be a lot easier if he was just a religious teacher. It'd make my life a lot easier. That way I could offer a lot of suggestions that I don't have to talk about what he said. But yet the more I look at him, the more I have to continue to look at him, I get more inspired. But if you don't look at him, what happens? You end up this general idea and you don't see clearly. Those visiting that are just searching If anything in this service, I pray that you will see something about him. I pray you will be inspired to to study about him because it is all about him. And for those that are skeptical, I don't know what I believe. Let me tell you this, and I've used this illustration before. I want you, if you want to reject him, I want you to reject the real him. I don't want you to reject a false understanding of him, right? So I want to challenge you to make sure you, if you're going to reject them, make sure you reject the real deal and not some imitation. It's just like I can take you to certain places in Manhattan, I will buy you a Rolex for $20. (laughs) Seriously, the watch says Rolex. R-O-L-E-C-K-S. It says it. So give the person your $20 and walk away, and within two weeks, that will be as dead of a watch as you've ever had in your life, right? And you'll go from that point on saying, I had a Rolex before, but it's a bunch of trash. No, you rejected the imitation. If you had a real Rolex, I guarantee you, it would last longer than two weeks. But sometimes we do that with Jesus. We just... We go ahead and have him in our own idea of what he must be like, a general idea, not the specifics, and we reject that. Well, I gave it an intellectual, credible approach. No, you didn't. No, you did not. You rejected the imitation. If you're going to reject something, reject the real deal. But you've got to see clearly to do that. That's what Nicodemus is challenged. And the last thing, Last thing he's challenged, and this will come to a surprise to many friends when they realize that John 3.16 was not initially said at a football game. That'll blow their mind, right? For God so loved the world that, you know, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Most people are just used to seeing that guy at the football games with John 3.16. And maybe they go back and read it. Okay, this is Jesus who was talking about that. And what he challenged Nicodemus is, I want you to have a clear vision about this. God is not a conscience to be appeased. He's a comfort to be embraced. God came, sent his son in the world to forgive us of all our sins. 
He didn't wait until we were worthy, whatever that means, of forgiveness. He didn't wait until we got our act together and now I'm going to do it. Jesus came and felt what it's like to be human so that now he can give us what, what we need. God is, is the great forgiver. He's the one that takes the initiative. He's the one that cares. He's the one that wants to forgive. Nicodemus, he'd been spending his life trying to cross every T, dot every I, just to be accepted by God himself. Now, and this was always in God's scriptures in the Old Testament, how much God loves his people. But now, more than anything else, He's seeing God as the self-sacrificing lover of mankind. As the one who's not interested in condemning. People are already condemned. If you see a guy drowning in the water, don't say you're drowning. The guy understands he's drowning, all right? Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. It's already condemned. So what did he do? He came into the world to redeem it, to save it, to forgive it. That's the whole reason. Him setting foot on this earth that he created. The only reason is to save, not to condemn. We got the condemnation part down perfectly. We can do that on our own. But for Nicodemus, he needed to have a clear vision. This is God. This is God taking the initiative. This is God saying, there is no price I will not pay just to have your heart and your soul with me forever. This is God saying, you're worth that. This is God. You don't have to run from him. You don't have to, oh no, he has taken the initiative. Obedience is just a way of enjoying the life he has come to bring us. And that's the thing that Nicodemus had to see. He had a general idea, but now specific, he was seeing the self-sacrificing love of God. Some of us at times will feel lonely in our life. It happens to all of us. We'll feel estranged. Our relationships will feel strained. And it happens to all of us, doesn't it? But you know what? We are never, ever alone. God was so serious about that, he had his own son die to make sure we understood that. That is something that Nicodemus could take home with him. That is something. No longer is life going to be about, ah, I better do the right thing. It is God, make me the right person in your power. God, forgive me. And Nicodemus was going to understand that. For us today, I don't want us to have a general vision of things. I want us to see clearly. I want us to imitate what Nicodemus learned here, and I want us to enjoy this relationship and I pray that anyone that ever comes here, one thing I want them to get from personal interactions with us and seeing the way we live and the way we treat people and the way we treat them, one thing I'll say about those folks, they may be kind of strange or weird or whatever, but man, they are serious about Jesus of Nazareth. They worship him as God. And you know what? That's an accusation I'd love to live with. And I want it to come because I have a clear vision that that is what God has called me and all of us to. Let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and sing, stand and have a, a closing song.
Father, you, uh, we give you the honor. We give you praise, Father. And I know we use that word at times loosely. What does that mean? It means that we are deeply grateful. We verbalize the fact that we have life from you and from you alone. And that you are the source of all things good, of all that we hope to be, of all that we are. Thank you for taking the initiative. Thank you for giving us a clear vision of what life is about as we see the way your son lived, as we heed his teachings. Father, help us to open our hearts. Help us to be humble approaching you. But more than anything else, help us all just want to please you and enjoy the life that you've given us. Thank you for everyone that's here. For those of us that do not know you yet, Father, open our hearts that we can fully embrace uh, who you are. We love you so much. Thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 